Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Storm King's Teddy. This is, are we session nine, Cat? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, so uh, how's uh, how's your week started out for you? Um, slow. Uh, I barely got any sleep last night. I basically just stared into the darkness of my room <laughs> with my thoughts. Uh, I hate that. Um, although I very rarely have that problem. Usually I, I can fall asleep faster than the speed of dark. So I It takes me a while to fall asleep. Um I, I if I don't set an alarm before I lay down in bed, it doesn't get set. It's that fast. So um, anyway, so uh, session last night, uh, and uh, what'd you think? It was good. Is finally we got some combat in. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know if I could have taken another four hours of backstory <laughs> exposition and lore without any combat rolls. <laughs> Uh, I was definitely ready, and uh, and we had a few combats, right? So, um, yeah. and uh, there there is one thing that's missing, and um, it was missing from it was missing from the previous two sessions. But I thought, well, this has been a lot of backstory, role play, exposition type, you know, play. So I didn't really say anything, but I got to say it now. Where's our music? What do you mean? The music, like uh, the the background music, where, where you hear the gulls in the background, or when there's combat, there's like the dramatic music playing. There's been music. I haven't heard it. Oh, so uh, so uh, okay, okay. So it must Maybe be my setting. It, it it's either your settings, or you'll have to like log out and log back in, like log out of roll twenty and then log back into roll twenty. I, I did there that. Was, I did that today, or the day that we played. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. I don't. I don't know what to tell you because it happened to me once where there was no music. Oh, that but stinks! I, just, I closed out, <laughs> logged out, and logged back in, and there was music. All right, I am definitely going to have to check my settings because the combat started. And I'm like, all right, here comes the dramatic music, and I got nothing. I'm like, dang, man. So, um, but yeah, I didn't realize that, that I was going to miss it that much until, uh, until I wasn't hearing it. So, so let me ask you this real quick then. Did you get it the, the previous two sessions as well? Mm-hmm. Wow. The, the, there is something going on then on, on my settings. Cause I've been in and out of roll 20 a dozen times over the last three weeks. Yeah. So there's, there's been music, there's been goals, like calling and whatever and whatnot, but yeah. All right. Um, so next session, um, when when uh, that starts up, you have to DM me, and then I'll see if I can't get it fixed on my end. Okay. Oh man. So so I just been missing out the last three sessions. That kind of stinks. So anyway, um, we kind of started off where we left off last session, uh, talking in uh, spare parts about who we were going to take this job for to go find these uh stormwatch guys right yep it was a topic of hot contention and our party was split evenly three ways two four two against and two abstained yeah so um we had uh lars and prue that did not want to work for wilkes um and then it was um Tabane and Keelan wanted to start that way. So obviously 
once again, if we found something shady, then, uh, you know, willing to tell Captain Trelleth about it. And then um, we had uh, the other two members of the party, Portia and Winifred, that more or less abstained from the voting. And um, while we were discussing that, uh, it got a little frosty between Keelan and Prue. And it was, um, I, I think the, the biggest point of contention between the two of them was that, and Keelan flat out asked Prue, so um, essentially you're making the call for us because we're being hired as a party and you're not going to go along with it. So you're dictating for the entire party what we're going to do. And so, um, Prue didn't, didn't really answer my question, but she did say that maybe she needed to find a different group of adventurers to go, to run around with. And that's certainly not Keelan's hope. Uh, at the same time, and Keelan's going to talk to Prue, uh, in game or direct message or, uh, you know, in, in character chat about it, but um, essentially, I, I I just don't think it was handled the right way that it wasn't group centric. Uh, certainly, very in character for Prue, though. I mean, she's a cop, right? She thinks yeah. that Wilkes is shady, and so um, it was just. But at the same time, um, Keelan feels at this point like Prue sees the group as she's the captain of the guard and we're her guard and we just need to do it the way she wants it done. And she's going to have a problem with that. But otherwise, um, we ended up, uh, so Prue left after she, um, basically put her, um, put her vote in. And after we didn't really have a, uh, a majority one way or the other, which at that point I really thought it would have fallen to Tabane as our appointed leader, um, but just decided, you know what, the important thing is that we're going, getting the uh, the storm watch guards back. So uh, Mask had already gone down to the docks to find us a uh, boat to take us across to the to the lighthouse, and. Then, uh, once that happened, we, um, we met Prue and, and Mask down at the docks. They had secured a, uh, small vessel for us called the Salty Sardine. And it took us, uh, across, uh, across the bay to the, to the lighthouse. Um, interesting, uh, character development for Prue, um, she smoked during this session. Has that happened before and I just missed it? I want to say yes, but I can't remember for certain if she has. It was the first time that I remembered it. Um, the coffee thing has, has happened several times, but, uh, yeah. that's the first time I remember this, but I'm not saying it hadn't happened before, but first time I remember it. So, um, 
so we got on the boat uh, and went across towards the lighthouse and this is where we ran into our first combat yeah we ran across another vessel about the size of ours that had three um giant octopuses yeah they were three giant octopus yeah, three, were they squid, octopi? I don't remember. Anyway, it was, um, you know, big tentacle things in the water. They were attacking this little skiff, and there were also three people on the skiff. And uh, one of them was a human female, one of them was a young half-elven boy, and one of them was a hobgoblin. Is that, yep. that's all right? And then... That, that's all correct, Yes. So then we actually got to see some of the new, some of the new, um, subclass abilities in that. So you want to cover some of that? Um, yes. Uh, uh, before that, I quickly want to add that, um, Papane has seasickness or motion sickness to be exact. And before we went on here, Lars was very kind and spent two gold and bought us some, or bought me some seasickness meds. It's like a patch or something. I think it was what it was. And if it, and I know in game it was a good decision and it's great RPing because if I didn't have that seasickness patch, I would have had disadvantage to my attack rolls. Oh, yeah, that's but, right. Yep. Yeah. So it negated my motion sickness and gave me normal attack rolls instead of at disadvantage. Yeah, I forgot I that. Kinda, you took the, the medieval equivalent of uh, Dramamine before we got on the boat. Yeah. But part of me was kind of hoping I would still have disadvantage just for RP reasons. But, you know, oh well. Um, but yeah, so that happened. Um, we found out um, the subclasses of two party members. Um, Prue took Monster Slayer, I believe. Yeah, I think that's right, because she had a ability called, uh, was it Slayer's Prey? Yeah, which yeah. is essentially like a hunter's mark, except like as a bonus action hunter's mark. Yeah, and ended up uh, she did two crossbow hits during that fight with eighteen and nineteen damage respectively. That's pretty solid. Yeah, I mean she is the master of range tactics. Um, and speaking of master of tactics, uh, Winifred used the a master of tactics to give Prue advantage on a hit because his subclass is the mastermind, I believe for rogues. Okay. So I, I missed the, the name of the subclass, but I, yeah, I remember master of tactics gave, uh, I think he gave the advantage to Prue, right? Yep. And so it just gave her advantage on one of the hits. Yep. Which is still, that's a, that's a huge deal. Yeah, and it was well, it's like he used this as a bonus action or something, um, which is a great use of a bonus action is to give someone else aid and have them have advantage on their next attack roll. So that just leaves Lars and Portia as unknown what their subclasses are, unknown to us, that is. All right, um, I do want to mention that during this fight, um, Keelan was largely ineffective because... Uh, well, bad rolls mostly, but also didn't get the first round of like surprise on the monsters because she was steering the ship. 
yes, uh, Tabane was more or less out of commission because of the the germ the seasickness. It negated a good majority of it, but I still had some lingering effects. Um, so I couldn't take the the helm or the rudder of the boat and steer it. So you were the next best candidate for that. So instead, we all got arranged attacks. I think it was like firebolt, crossbow, bow and arrow, a dagger, and a javelin was coming up from our party all to a yeah. So all to one of the 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 the, the octopus. So uh, in this fight, you lost a javelin because I lost two. Oh, you did. You lost two. Okay, and then yeah. you also uh, took my crossbow from me and used it after that. I did. I had one javelin left, but I don't want to be completely rangeless. Yeah, without range. Going in. Sure. Because, like, I really need to either A, buy a lot of javelins, or B, I need to pick up some ranged spells or something. But for the moment, I'm, I am horrible at range. So I didn't want to waste my last javelin going into the next encounter. So I'm like, Hey, Keelan, uh, <laughs> Hey, how you doing? Uh, can I use your crossbow? And yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm uh, throwing spells anyway. So yeah, it was fine. Like every, everyone's got their ranged abilities and I'm just sitting here going like, I got to stick with a pointy thing and, and I throw them hard. <laughs> uh, so there was a great, uh, I thought there was a missed opportunity for, um, Teddy's rule of cool here. And that was okay. when Lars threw their dagger and, and crit on the hit and asked if he spent an inspiration, if he could get the dagger back. And Teddy said, okay, sure. You throw the dagger. And, um, I, I think he had to knock off some damage too. Like the yeah, he, the extra he, bonus damage or whatever. Yeah, the crit damage he had to take away, which was a one. And uh, and then he found another dagger underneath the like uh, seat uh, on the ship. I thought it would have been cool if like his dagger just like the pommel hit the thing in the eye and rebounded to back to his hand. That would have been pretty cool. Yeah, and I mean, and serve the same effect. Yeah, but um, anyway, he. Uh, long story short, he didn't. He did. He's not out of dagger. So, yeah. Um, there the octopus were attacking the people. Um, there was a couple healing words, I believe, were spent. On I think Lars Lars threw one, right? Yeah, he threw one towards the half elf because he was looking pretty bad. Um, the leader of the company at the time got drugged underwater by one of the octopi. Um, we, I think myself and Winifred were attacking that one and managed to get the grapple on, have the octopus ungrapple the leader, which was the human, yes, the human the, girl. The, yep. The human. And then she could swim back up to the surface, get right back up on to the to the boat and um i don't know what subclass she is but she has multi-attack because she had two scimitar attacks and then a dagger attack so she i'm i'm gonna guess she's at least a fifth level of something um because once she got up she did multi-attacks on another 
octopus and the half elf kind of retreated back towards the hobgoblin to like because he was he was very injured and then he just kind of was recuperating from his attack and i also burned a first level spell healing word on the same half elf because they had gotten hit again and were down pretty far or it was uh, maybe they weren't hit again and it was i don't remember if they got hit again and taken back down after lars's or if they were just still in bad shape no i i remember what happened is um lars healing word the the human girl who i'll just say her name at this point is Belmare. oh yeah um she when we first when we first rolled up or boated towards him or whatever um she was like at half health when the combat started and Lars right. healing worded was... her then the half elf got attacked and then you healed him and we pretty much took care of the octopi and just slowly whittled away with ranged attacks and that was about it for the first encounter so um healing word um to my mind is a superior healing spell to um the regular touch based first level one and uh, even though it throws an eight-sided dice and healing word throws a four-sided dice healing word also adds the level of the spell caster and then i have that um ability of uh well it's it's because i'm a um, life domain cleric that uh, my healing spells are all more effective so i get to add the level of the spell plus two to my dice rolls as well so a four-sided dice spell like healing word does seven to ten every time i cast it and it's a bonus action too isn't it and it is a bonus action the downside is that because it's a first level spell even though it is a bonus action um I can not cast another regular leveled spell. I can do a I can do a cantrip, so uh, as an action, or um, you know, still attack. So that's all good. But yeah, that's the only bonus action that I've been able to take the entire time until I hit third level. But um, okay, so we ended up finding out that these three were uh, the crew of a. Um, basically a, a pirate vessel. Is that right? Uh, I think it was a, a, um, a galley, I think Teddy said it was. A uh, caravel. Or caravel, yeah, caravel. Called the tortured, I thought it was turtle, but I think he pronounced it tortle. Yeah, it's tortle. And, uh, and they used to crew for um, the captain there, but I guess the captain had taken on a... Um, some sort of a, uh, did they describe it like as a sea witch of some kind or something like that? Um, and, and then he'd started kind of treating his crew bad and killing some of them. And they were given a opportunity to take off. So they did. And then they kind of wanted us to go back and help them storm the ship and take it over. Yeah. That was, that's exactly what happened. Um, and I think most of our party 
or at least half of our party wanted to help them, but we were already going to help out the Sharn Watch. So we're just, we were kind of like, hey, yeah, we'll, we want to help you, but we're a little busy right now. And I think it was Lars was talking, and he's like, hey, I'll meet you at, like, the nearest tavern in the Harbor District, and if you guys are still around by the time we're done, we'll come out and help. Which, they, and they said that it was likely the ship still wouldn't be there, but that, you know, they were at least willing to try. And I think, <laughs> I think that this decision to immediately forego this, which I don't know if it would have been a great idea anyway. I mean, were they just going to, I mean, they were doing something technically illegal, right? Actually, I think Winifred even made that point in, yes, in chat, did. didn't he? Yes. That uh, basically they were, they were doing mutiny <laughs> and that's not legal. Um, so I don't know uh, how I would have, I mean, help them out. Sure. But I, I don't know about just teaming up and storming their <laughs> storming their old ship and helping the mutiny. Um, but I do think that one of the biggest reasons that we didn't take this little side uh, quest is probably because a direct result of what happened in Porsche's basement, where we delayed too long and people yeah. people were dead. And I think that was in. Uh, at least one or two people's heads. And they were like, it no, no, we got to go. We got to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, regardless, we we ended up not doing that. Lars <laughs> Lars tried to sell a calendar to him, and uh, the human wanted one, but they were broke. So Lars gave him a calendar and 25 gold pieces. <laughs> Um, it was very generous of him. I have. It was. Um, seems like money is not his top concern. And then, so we did go on to the beach where we found a trio of tents set up that when we investigated, it looked like this is where the storm watch had set up. Mm-hmm. And, after some decent investigation rolls, Keelan found tracks that indicated that, uh, like shambling tracks, um, that Teddy said I would have recognized as undead creatures. And from the the way that uh, I was able to look at them, essentially found out that uh, they were sending out these undead patrols about every six hours, which effectively means we can't long rest. We won't right. get we won't get a full eight hours of rest. So, uh, and then we also found some um, we, we found some other items. You want to go over? Um. Yeah, they we um with a high investigation role I think from Mask or Winifred rather, um we found uh like a, a like a safe in the provisions was it, um and it was a stack of notes two hundred and fifty gold notes and five hundred silver notes, 
um, as well as three potions of healing and a potion of heroism and a note inside, but it, the note was in. It was a cipher. Yep. And this is where we first get to see Winifred's cipher book. Yeah. So he pulled that out and we got to re-roll, uh, against the code and who made the roll? Prue? Uh, no, it was um, Portia, Portia and Winifred deciphered okay. the, so, the code. So Winifred gave Portia advantage and I used guidance. Yes. And ended up, what was, what was the final score we ended up with? 26, 27? Uh, yeah, it was it was around there. I don't remember the exact one. And so that was enough that we actually were able to crack the cipher and we got a little bit of information out of it. Um, obviously, there had been a fight here. There were some, like, broken weapons and that sort of thing. So, uh, and there was markings on the tent for, uh, for a um, really large, um, gang or guild. Um, what was the name of them? It was the bilge rats, right? Yeah. And after we looked at this long enough, we kind of decided that someone was trying to hang this on the bilge rats because they are professional enough that they would not have just scrawled their name all over it to, I mean, they don't, they're not going to try to bring the law down on them. So they, um, it, it's probably someone trying to, um, do this and then hang it on someone else. Yep. Did we say what the note and the code was? Mm, no. Okay. Um, this is where, uh, the note said, check on a Latimer follow crest. Reports suggest secret basement. Investigate. If any treasure or artifacts do not include in report, inform base first. Payment attached. So that's what the, the note said. And I think it was all assumed that the inform base first part was to inform Wilkes rather than the Stormwatch. So this was our, I guess, our first evidence of... Uh, a cover up on Wilkes's behalf, right? And uh, and I personally believe that it is Wilkes, although I still don't think there's direct evidence of it. Right. Um, sorry, I just wanted to throw that in there. No, go go ahead. You're doing great. Um, where where did you leave off last? Uh, so we uh, we more or less got done with the camp and decided to go into the lighthouse. Yes. Um, we were talking about the bilge rats and how they're like the, the most organized crime mafia in, um, storm reach and that someone's trying to pin it on them. But we, uh, I think it was Portia knew very well that they wouldn't just slap their name on something like this. Um, so we then decided to go inside the lighthouse 
there is a big giant door, and then there is a smaller, more humanoid, medium-sized creature door um, just to the side of it. I think it was Rue's passive perception or or something. Someone's perception check uh, saw that it was trapped. It was a trapped door and that like arrows would rain down from above if you tinkered with it and and or if you just basically opened it. So we had our resident rogue who we find out is not um not that kind of rogue and he did his thieves tool on the door. I in case in case Winifred failed, I didn't think he was going to, but you know Sometimes the dice can be evil, but in case that happened, I was like, hey, can I just come over to Winifred and raise my shield above the two of us, blocking us from the arrows if there's a fail? Well, he didn't fail. He passed, disarming that trap. And then we had to do another Thieves Tool check because the door was locked. And it was at this point we found out that Portia is like proficient in Thieves Tools. And that she could have given Winifred advantage this whole, whole time because, you know, she's an artificer. She knows a lot of things. And also, it was Prue that just demonstrated another new ability, right? Had to use yes. a, a spell slot, and uh, it was, uh, what was, what was it called? Primeval Awareness? Correct. I have, it, I have it pulled up in the chat right now because it is like a really cool, almost, it's, it's like a better um, divine sense because um, it, it longer it range this, at least. I mean, uh, it's like a half yeah. mile, isn't it? It's a it's a full mile. Oh wow! And up and it says up to six if you're in favored terrain. Um, but it didn't go to six, so that I guess that's not her favored terrain. I don't know what her favored terrain is. Um, but yeah, it, it costs a spell slot, and for uh, one minute. You gain uh, the the following types of creatures are present within one mile of you. It is aberrations, celestials, dragons, elementals, fey, fiends, and undead. But it doesn't reveal the creature's location or number. So that's the drawback towards it. And it she did that, which was really cool. I kind of felt like my divine sense wasn't as cool anymore. <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, free. <laughs> No spell yeah. slot. Uh, that, that's true. I, I can I can do it like four times, um, just because I can. Um, but if it was found out that there is certainly undead here, and if there was something between like a, a celestial and a fey, or was it a celestial and a fiend? Celestial and a fiend, but the uh, the feeling was more towards celestial, but not a good aligned celestial. And I, I think Teddy said it wasn't evil as well, too. So it felt more like it was a neutrally aligned, is what we were trying to get at. Yeah, I didn't get the sense that it was like overtly evil, but not good either. Yep. So she did that cool ability. Um, and I was thinking about doing my divine sense inside, but the rooms were so small that I, and there was a lot of them that I didn't really felt the need for it once we were inside but once we opened up the door and everything there was a um 
was it uh, half elf or was uh, it uh, oh so halfling. Took, yeah there was a halfling that was dead on the floor and nobody had gone into the room yet so we we really didn't see it but ended up being that there was the ghost of the halfling hovering over it and um it was officer patsy mccroy so one of the storm watch that we were sent here after um we found dead and with yeah, a, which... with, and and also the same mark uh the kraken skull with the um with the blade through the skull right yep the same mark that was in Porsche's basement correct um yeah the one the mark the same mark that we found on the wrestlers and yeah that were turned into shadows yeah so immediately we find Patsy McCroyne, the leader of the the group of guards that Trellis gave to Wilkes, and it's not boding well for them being alive, um, because we're we already founding one immediately dead, and spoiler alert, more wolf come to follow. Oh, um, this was this was great flavor though. We as soon as we got in here, uh, we realized that whoever the keeper of the lighthouse was or whatever had one of Lars's calendars up on the wall. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. There is a, there's a bunch of maps and writing in the margins and, and one of Lars's calendars. Um, and it, uh, it had some writing on it and, uh, um, I can't remember what it was. It was something about it, like a secret basement and, and following follow crest or finding follow crest. Yeah, and the the spirit was trying to help us with that. Yep. So uh, we got inside. We asked the spirit a couple questions or whatever. Um, we didn't really get direct answers. We got more of a yeah, I'm pointing like, and that sort of thing. Yeah, and like shrugs and pointing and whatever. It was at this point, um, Winifred had a really, 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 really good idea. A good enough idea that. I don't I don't think it gave him inspiration, but he didn't have to make a roll for it because Teddy was just like, Hey, that's a good idea. You're just gonna oh, yeah. pass immediately. But he he took a, a nearby cup and his dagger and he was like making tinking noises on the floor to see if there was a basement underneath us. And sure enough, there's a basement underneath the lighthouse. But, but there was no access from this level. Correct. Yeah, there was there was no access on this level. So I immediately thought like, well, the only way to go down is probably to go up. And I, I'm like, there's got to be like a secret lever or a, a button or like a internal staircase, like or like an external staircase that go, wraps around the outside. But you know, like the the rooms are smaller on the inside because there's a staircase on the outside. You know, kind of get what I'm saying. Right now, we did find a note, right? Uh, yes. And it said, um, "Officer Bim R asked me to find something that uh, is part of the magic clock." And Fallowcrest both must be in the basement, but uh, we can't find a way in. And then they mentioned the kobold, which we think was Haslick Char. Um, let's see, um, mentioned them as being a spellcaster. Um, 
they keep staring at me. I think he's suspicious. That's what was written in the note. Yep. Or thinks think he suspects. Um, and then, yeah, Mask did his uh, thing using the cup to enhance his hearing and tapping on the floor with a dagger. That was a cool idea. Um, and then before we went up to the second level, Keelan helped the halfling pass on to the afterlife. Uh, and the mark on his chest ignited in a white fire and burned away, but it was no longer black. Um, so then we found, I think it was next level up, wasn't it? That there yeah, were, we were three wardrobes and, and four large chests. Yes. And uh, some other um, materials that were up on the second floor. Um, and Prue and I both got to make a passive perception check, and we both hit it. And were able to warn the group that um, something decaying really... Uh, stunk from each of the chests. So immediately after warning everybody, um, four ghouls, one from each chest, pop out and attack us. So our second combat was on. Yep. And I positioned myself near a wardrobe because I was expecting them to come out of the wardrobe, not the chest. So I was kind of out of position. I was away from the group. I mean, we're in like a... A yeah, forty-five circle room, so I wasn't really away from everyone. Nowhere was I too was far just, away. <laughs> yeah, we were we were at least ten feet away from everyone, um, but I was the most isolated because everyone was more towards the northern top of the the thing, and I was more towards the southern top next to a wardrobe. Thinking I'm like, oh, I'm all cool. I'm not going to get dropped on because there's there's going to be undead in these wardrobes that it's like you're going to open it and it's going to plop out on you. No, that came from the chest. And uh, Lars opened up our damage with um, with uh, hitting a ghoul for six and also giving bardic inspiration to Portia. And then Prue did some good scimitar work, positioned herself between Portia and a, one of the ghouls and uh, swapped spots with her, right? Mm-hmm. and did uh, that Slayer's Prey and hit for nine. Uh, then you hit for nine on the one that was on you. So I had one on me, you had one on you, down in the bottom corners of the room, and in the upper corners it was the other four taking on the other two. And yes. so you did nine on yours, then Porsche used something called Sonic Pulse. Um, that was pretty cool. And the envisioning of it, I believe, is supposed to be that this is this comes out of her prosthetic arm. Mm-hmm. So uh, it is a spell, but essentially um, it's supposed to be also some sort of device built into her arm. Kind of like Cyborg with the Teen Titans. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so that was a that was a pretty cool visual and did some really good damage. One of the ghouls made save, the other one just flew apart. And then, let's see, 
Um, can't remember. Hmm, can't remember exactly how it happened after that. It was just a series of like vicious mockery. Um, a couple of arrows flung from Winifred. Winifred um, was tearing it up with a short bow. Yeah. Um, Portia annihilated one of them with the sonic pulse. Um, crew finished off the one that was next to me, allowing me to come over towards you, and then I finished off that one. Uh, just Teddy was just like, "Hey, how do you want to end combat?" And I'm just like, "I I don't got the thinking power for this right now." I'm like, "I'm just gonna decapitate him and just call that good enough." And uh, also, just wanted to mention you positioned very well. So you, I'm so you uh, immediately after you killed yours off, positioned to the rear side of the one that was on me, so that if I had had to go again, which I ended up, I don't think having to, mm-hmm. um, uh, the uh, I could have positioned myself directly across from you. And then we both would have had advantage to our, to our strikes. So yeah, th- very well done. And you, the, um, also, um, how is it that I ended up with, was it, did Lars give me Bardic inspiration? How did I get advantage on my hit? Do you remember? Um, when I Winfred, used my mace? he gave you the master of tactics, master of tactics. Yep. That's what, it, there you go. Yes, because um, Lars gave Bardic Inspiration to me in the first floor before we went up a floor. And I feel so bad because he's given me Bardic Inspiration twice now, and I have yet to use it. Because it doesn't apply to damage, it applies like to hit or to saving throws or whatever. And I, I, I just feel so bad because I want to use his Bardic Inspiration and not have it feel like it's wasted. But every time he does it to me, he gives it to me. I'm like, oh, thank you. This is great. I'm like, yeah, I get Bardic Inspiration, but I always land my attack rolls. Well, and that's, I don't need any saving throws. But I mean, even even so, uh, I mean, I can understand why it keeps getting put on you because we definitely need that sword to hit. And so, even though you're saying it's wasted, I'm saying it's insurance. I don't know, man. I'm. I would agree with you early on. We needed my sword to hit. I felt like I was doing a good amount of damage early on. But, you know, now that we're third level, I feel like I'm being overshadowed by sneak attacks and Hunter's Mark and Slayer's Mark and Favored Enemy and all this other stuff coming out of Peru. Like, she can she can dish out some damage just by a couple of actions and bonus actions. And- right, right up until you do a smite. That's true. I mean, no, you're not wrong. Everybody else's damage is picked up as well. They have a lot. But, I mean, so is yours. Yeah, but I'm kind of, I I just, I'm trying to find a good moment to smite. Because, like, these are ghouls. They would work with a smite. I would get extra damage, I believe. Or, no, I wouldn't get extra damage. Um, I'm thinking of my other character. Um, yeah, smite does radiant damage, right? Yes. So it would do extra damage. It would do to extra them. damage. Um, but you know that costs a spell slot, and I only get 
I only have three right now, and it's a first level spell, and I only will ever get four first level spells. No matter once I'm once I hit like sixth or eighth, I'll get my fourth first level spell, and then I just am stuck at four first level spells for the rest of my days. I mean, granted, I can upcast Divine Smite too, but eh, I don't know. I just feel like I'm I'm slowly being overshadowed by some damage in the party, and I'm not really complaining. Well, and the other thing too is right now you have the only magic weapon, and so uh, once again, if we end up fighting a creature that it takes magic to hit, you're kind of it, other than the spell uh, people lobbing spells. Uh, Keelan yeah. also threw. Um, Toll the dead in this fight, as well as the one on the boat. Um, so uh, that was two toll the deads for this session. Um, you, you landed one. I did land one. You're right. Um, so uh, let's see. Then after this, I I gave Riley my. Uh, I told him to sent the ghouls and to let me know if he smelled any other, um, you know, anything that smelled similar. And he immediately let me know that there was something up on the next level. So we went up to the next level and we found, um, basically two hellhounds. Yes. And they were, they were, they were, um, trapped more or less in a, a circle or square of runes, and it looked like they were pacing around trying to get out, but there was something holding them back. Obviously, it was there was a trap and trap set for us. Um, like it was mentioned that if we attacked them, that would break the runes and that they set them free. Or later on, we found out that the staircase leading up from the this floor to the next was trapped as well so if we stepped on that it would release the runes and um let the hellhounds loose but once again the the queen of arcana checks nailed her arcana check with an inspiration i believe and your guidance and Portia rolled like a 26 or like a 27 arcana check and just destroyed it she just she found that the runes were on the first two steps like they were visible but then she found out like the rest of the steps were even more hidden that they were all trapped so if we and just walked a- up the steps then that would cause the the runes keeping the hellhounds at bay to disappear and they could have attacked us yep or if um, we would have attacked them through their through the runes that were holding them, they would have dropped both of them. And so, because that was, that was my question, but okay. So if we don't break their runes, if we just stand back at range and take care of them and uh, Teddy, let us know, no, it would drop. And at that point I was still like, well, that's still okay. If we're only dropping one of them at a time, 
But I he, think it was implied both were yeah, dropped. No, it wasn't just implied. He flat out said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, n- neither of my ideas would work. Uh, so then it was attempted to disarm the triggers on the steps. And the disarming went so well that it didn't just disarm the it didn't just disarm the trap. It actually banished the hellhounds back where they came from. Yep. Just flat out skipping a whole nother combat encounter. Yep. So, um, we didn't have to fight the hellhounds, which was good because that probably would have eaten up quite a bit of our resources. Um, let's see. And then, uh, both of their collars, by the way, fell to the ground. Oh, I should have mentioned on the uh, level below, we ended up getting, um, there were 11 pieces of black jasper that were worth 10 gold each. There was a black cloak in one of the wardrobes that had 10 sling bullets in it. Um, they had runes carved into them, and they feel very well balanced. So um, I'm guessing uh, magical ranged ammo. Um, let's see. And then we found a potion, uh, wintry, wintry blue in color. It had a large toenail in it. And, um, let's see. And we also found no secret doors on that level. There were no secret doors on the hellhound level either. And when they disappeared, their collars dropped that were worth 50 gold a piece. Then we went up to the fourth level which was a very nicely appointed level of the, of the lighthouse. There was like costume gemstones, um, all over the place and a hatch in the ceiling that went, goes up to the lantern room. And we found a multicolored spider in, um, a terrarium and started tapping on the glass to get our attention. Um, and it was, um, intelligent. And Portia let it out after making it promise not to attack. Um, And then it pointed to a journal and a pen that Lars had with him and started writing things uh, for us. And uh, they said that um, the spider's mistress and the spider teleported from the shop which I took to mean spare parts because someone disappeared from there trying to use one of those timepieces. And uh, it was Talantha, right? Wasn't that the name of the spider's mistress? Mm -hmm. And then um, we also found, or the spider named a bad gnome, um, which we think is Huber. We don't know. Um, and there, the door to the basement may be up in the lantern level. We still don't know yet. Um, and then because this bad gnome took Talantha to the roof and, uh, has not come back. Um, also because we, said that we were going to find Talantha and try to free her. The spider uh, entrusted us with uh, another uh, Titanic artifact 
which uh, it, it looked almost like another watch piece, right? Yeah. So, um, and uh, what was it? I wrote down the rotor. Is that what that, it was being called? Yeah, it was called a rotor. So, um, um, so what else? That pretty much covers it. Uh, the spider wanted us to um, save Talantha, and that all that was left on this floor was to go up the hatch to the lantern level and see what was there. Yeah, so, and we were out of time, so basically that's where we quit. And so I um, I believe that it's time for the Toll the Dead report. And so with my hit and my miss on this uh, particular dungeon, I believe that brings me to... 4 of 15. So, what is that? About 26%? I'm not good with math, so let's just say yes and move on. 26-ish, 27% on a spell that I need to be hitting at about a 60% clip. So it did get better, because I hit it for 50% this time. Can't complain. Um, so, uh, that was... Uh, pretty much it, yeah? That was it. Anything else you want to add? No. Just that um, we're in the early stages of this dungeon, and we got a lot ahead of us. Yeah, so how far... uh, Teddy said that we were, what, roughly 33% through the lighthouse? Wasn't that um, the number that he threw out? Mm Mm-hmm. Which means the basement's got to be huge. Yeah. So if we're if we only have one more level of this to go to the lantern room, then yeah, we're looking at a, a substantial sized basement. So um, anyway, um, that's all I've got. Unless you've got something else to uh, to recap. Nope, I got nothing. All right, man. Well. Um, Good talking to you again, and thanks for carving out the time tonight. I'll uh, try to get this uploaded here before tomorrow, end of day tomorrow, and uh, we'll uh, probably talk to you again before the weekend, yeah? Yeah, All right, man, take care of yourself, and we will talk to you all later. <laughs>